If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your private health insurance plan, you can keep your plan, period. If you are among the hundreds of millions of Americans who already have health insurance through your job, or Medicare, or Medicaid, or the VA, nothing in this plan will require you or your employer to change the coverage of the doctor you have. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. This is America's Healthcare Challenge on News Talk 1290, News Talk 1290KOIL.com, and the News Talk 1290 mobile app. America's Healthcare Challenge is produced and sponsored by E.D. Bellis. Now, here's your host, Sean McGuire. And welcome to America's Healthcare Challenge. Happy Saturday. Hope all is going well with you. Things are seems to be going great here. Another huge week in healthcare policy. We always say that, but as our co-host Alan Hager and I were saying right before we began, uh, this week was unbelievably busy, as you could imagine. First on our list, uh, we're going to be talking about another Supreme Court hearing potentially coming up that involves the Affordable Care Act. That is possible as House Republicans sued the White House in federal court recently and the dc court of appeals or the dc district court rather held uh, or ruled in favor of the republicans and this involves cost sharing subsidies what are those cost sharing subsidies are uh, financial incentives per built into the law that actually benefit quite a few people actually the majority of people that go and get help through healthcare.gov are eligible for cost sharing assistance that means they make less than 250% of the federal poverty level. If you want to know what that is, just Google it like everybody else does. But the problem is there are there are some uh, constitutional implications in, A, first of all, how the law was passed, and that's as indicated by the fact that it's already gone to the Supreme Court several times. But number two, um, one of the ways that they got it through the, the, the process in the first place was by delegating incredible amounts of authority to the federal government. And that has also now gone into the, the power of the purse in some cases in that executive branch agencies are authorizing funds to pay insurance companies uh, these cost-sharing assistance. And House Republicans are arguing in federal court that they... Uh, that this should come from Congress, which, as our founders uh, set things up, said that the Congress should have the power of the purse in as far as determining appropriations to run the federal government and the executive branch is therefore supposed to execute those pieces of legislation passed by Congress, Alan Hager. And this is uh, something that uh, really could get ugly because on one hand, I can see it being really uh, important for, for those people that are, that are, that are uh, really care about protecting the Constitution, myself included, and you as well, and many, right. many on both sides are on that, but at the same time, uh, this could really help folks uh, that need it, and it really is helping folks, and I'm sure anybody that went through healthcare.gov and they made less than 250% of the federal poverty level got some cost-sharing assistance. This cost-sharing assistance helps people pay for their deductibles and their co-pays. Right. Right? Right. And, and huge, huge impact, huge help if they have to, to utilize services. Right. If those were to somehow go away... That's going to mean huge cost increases for those individuals, which right. is not good. But at the same time, do we want the executive branch to have uh, authority to, to spend money? Well, and I think when there's no check on them from the people's perspective. Well, and I, you know, there's an article going into this on modern healthcare, and it talks about the five ways House v. Burwell could be uh, could affect exchange plans if this ruling stands. And you know, it, it's interesting because you know. The insurers could actually file a lawsuit as well, going to the U.S. Court of Federal Claims to try and collect the money that they're due. Uh, higher premiums would likely trigger higher tax credits to help people afford them. Really? Higher tax credits. You know, again, a handout. Uh, insurers might raise rates to compensate because the law still requires them to provide the assistance. The feds can't reimburse insurers for cost-sharing assistance like we were just talking about without congressional appropriations. Last time I looked, I thought the Constitution gave power of the purse to the Congress. It does, but un under the yeah. Affordable Care Act, 
when they passed it, they gave incredible, almost unprecedented amounts of authority to the executive branch. Well, so that's how this is well, and coming in. And so well, this lawsuit, they're trying to rein that back in, I believe. Well, and that's what we talked about, is all throughout the Affordable Care Act, you see Congress shall defer to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. So as I've said constantly, Congress abdicated its authority on spending and appropriations to the executive branch. Yet again, we're right on it. We, we, we talked about that on the show, how Congress abdicated its appropriation authority by deferring uh, to the to, Secretary mm-hmm. of Health and Human Services or whatever. And then they don't go through the budgetary and appropriation process and just pass what's called a continuing resolution, resolution which funds government at the same level, sometimes plus mm-hmm. some sort of inflationary Right, percentage. plus the CPI or but whatever. But they actually like that because it really means nothing changes. And so as long as they've got enough money to do right. it. But I have a problem with it. And we had constitutional authority, Christopher Wolf, a former professor of mine at Marquette, now at the University of Dallas, mm-hmm. who, who who gave us a very, very interesting uh, lecture, almost a slash interview here, talking about how at once in a generation or so, uh, Congress passes very, very massive levels of authority to uh, to the executive branch. Another example of when that happened was in the New Deal. Um, another thing example is when it happens is with uh, war. Right. Sometimes they might give the executive branch uh, authority to well, do and- war. But this is a generational type of piece of legislation that, that uh, was passed, and it does give very, very, very massive amounts of authority to the executive branch. Well, and here's the unintended consequence, I think, is... Okay, so we've talked about, you know, the fluctuation of, of numbers throughout the last three, four, five years. Well, how's this? Okay, so Congress decides, well, we or the, the lawsuit goes through, and now Congress has to appropriate this money. Could that also be uncert- uh, create uncertainty in the marketplace and uh, complicate insurers' rate settings? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, that would be... Uh, an unintended consequence of that that you know would destabilize the insurance market in some way something we've talked about all along but you know by the way though if you are going to read an article on this i would suggest uh, checking out the politico version because jen habercorn an alum of this program uh, has probably the thing she mentioned on we're facebook friends because we went to college together and both worked uh, she rec- uh, covered uh Roll call when I worked on the Hill, so we we became friends. Uh, also watched Marquette games together as a as the thing, and she said she made the Drudge Report headline her story on this issue. So she said it's amazing to see how many Twitter followers and stuff like that you can get after getting on Drudge Report. There, the le- oh, and, yeah. and by the way, I saw our producer dressed as Drudge Report. When was that? Did you do? Uh, when was that? Uh, it, was, it was last year, actually. It was a year ago, this April. Yeah. And you looked exactly oh, like you looked just like Matt Drudge. That was awesome. <laughs> his name's Matt, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he is. I'm following Maybe his footsteps. Are. Fo- are you sure you're footsteps. not Are you sure you're not him? I, I am Actually, in spirit. Drudge not an A-list? I am in spirit oh, at okay. all times. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about uh, authority coming up because uh, next segment, well, we want to take a little bit further look at this macro ruling um, the American Hospital Association recently reached out to um, to the executive branch, to CMS, to tell them what they think about uh, the latest macro ruling, which on April 27th, again, we talked about consolidated many programs uh, into two paths for physicians uh, re- receiving Medicare patients, payments and patients. And this is important that uh, they, they consolidated the AmeriPay merit-based payment incentive, the advanced alternative payment method, and and another reporting requirement. And so when we come back, we're going to find out what the American Hospital Association uh, had to say to CMS. I guess it took, if it took them two weeks, I've been trying to get through it. It was, what, 900 and some pages, 972 pages. 972 pages to get through the proposed rule, uh, which is a a proposed rule. And and actually, we'll we'll kind of explain how the, the rulemaking process works um, what happens when a bill after, to a bill after it becomes law? There's a huge process that goes along with it, and that's why this is so important. So you're listening to America's Healthcare Challenge. You're not going to want to miss what this means because it's going to have an impact 
on your healthcare provider. Small town hospitals, smaller providers are really the ones that might be in the crosshairs as a result of this uh, expansive regulation. So we're going to break that down next here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Research shows moving is one of the most stressful events in a person's life. But thanks to two men in a truck, it doesn't have to be. They have everything you need to move. A courteous professional staff who will customize your move, which includes a no-obligation estimate, a schedule to fit your convenience, and all the necessary packing supplies. And two men in a truck will help you watch your budget, too. Don't stress. Let two men in a truck handle your home or business move. Go to twomeninatruck.com. Two men in a truck selected Best of Omaha for nine years straight with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Are you a business owner seeing your bottom line squeezed by rising health care costs? I'm Sean McGuire, and I founded E.D. Bellis Healthcare Consulting to provide health reform consulting so that your business does not get caught off with all the uncertainty in Washington. I was there on Capitol Hill when the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, was created, and I have read the entire bill. Let me guide you through the maze of the American bureaucracy as you adapt to changing government rules and regulations that will impact your organization regardless of size. I offer custom services, including cost reduction strategies, training seminars for you and your employees, and strategic planning to help you prepare for the future. Regardless of what the Supreme Court decides, this issue is here to stay. Contact me today for a free consultation at www.healthreformexplained.com. That's www.healthreformexplained.com. At E.D. Ballas, we know healthcare. Now that you've heard of Sean McGuire and HealthReformExplained.com, maybe it's time for his team to assess your company's situation. We have innovative strategies to help navigate this new maze created by the Affordable Care Act. For more, go to HealthReformExplained.com. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Coming up at the bottom of the show, we're going to get into 10 ways the future of digital healthcare can run wild. I found a really sweet blog called The Medical Futurist and been reading some of their stuff. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that, Alan Hager, but uh, pretty good and very interesting content on that blog. Yes, there is. So you're not going to want to miss that segment. But we wanted to take a moment to uh, check out Healthcare IT News, Alan, to uh, look at this macro quality payment rule uh, the American Hospital Association, one of the most powerful lobbying organizations out there. They are the parent uh, organization of organizations like the Nebraska Hospital Association. Right. Similar to how the American Medical Association is the parent organization for, like, the Nebraska Medical Association. And right. So on and so forth. And so they have a, a very, very capable and smart team of individuals that work out there in Washington, D.C., breaking down some of these things and so we wanted to take a moment to look at uh, their reaction to this macro rule because i think they're going to be one of the few out there that's going to really define um where where providers are on this because candidly uh, these providers don't have time to get through this stuff no right? you're, you're absolutely right on that and i just wanted to to talk about how big again this is because of as we've reported here on the program over for two years now and we were on top of it immediately when in february of last year the Center for Medicare Medicaid Services announcing a new, very new and aggressive payment strategy slash approach uh, towards value-based reimbursements. Right. 2020, uh, half of reimbursements uh, on Medicare tied to some sort of value. So this is the first thing that has come out uh, addressing that, that people can actually have an understanding of where to work with. Uh, why don't you take uh, a little bit of time and, and take people through uh, the transition that providers have already had to go through as it relates to the ARRA, or, or I would almost call it the error, yes. uh, because I think the stimulus bill was a fail. Right. But anyways, it did have a lot of in, in, information and uh, I- dollars in there for um, electronic medical records. And so uh, one of the things the federal government did first that's affected your providers, and you might have seen it as you go uh, you know, get your latest checkup or whatever is introduced electronic medical records a la the computer into the equation. And that's right what you do. Right. And so uh, back when the stimulus bill was being discussed, uh, they put in money for uh, 
multiple different things. One was called high tech, and it was a uh, idea that we can incentivize hospitals to move towards the electronic health record uh, through different multiple categories, uh, you know, different stages. Uh, then when you moved into the uh, era of the uh, Affordable Care Act, you had the uh, meaningful use uh, piece, which tied back to how much information was uh, able to be used. So basically data mining different mm -hmm. uh, electronic medical rec your electronic medical records as an organization to come up with quality type uh, you know, different types of uh, uh, treatments, different types of uh, processes to try and uh, meet some of these things so you could get dollars back from the federal government. And so you saw this big push for large mergers among mm -hmm. organizations. That's that, where that a lot of it was driven by healthcare IT? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, if you look at uh, – a hundred million dollars, you know, or four hundred million dollars to uh, purchase a large medical record, for example, say like Epic, you know, how do you cost share that out? You know, once you meet certain guidelines from the federal government with meaningful use and all this, you meet those things, you get reimbursed back for it, and so at the end of the day, uh, it cuts your cost, but at the same time, you've just taken on more debt and more. Uh, staff and you're having to find different ways to become more efficient you know is the electronic health record the best way of doing that and so the affordable care act uh in you know again through meaningful use through the uh stimulus package and high tech you know i saw an interesting article this week that named you know there was over 1500 different data breaches of uh from 1500 different organizations that are out on the uh Health and Human Services uh, wall of shame that have had data breaches in uh, healthcare, which would be over 500, which high tech penalizes those organizations that have over 500 uh, records lost. Uh, uh, How often do you think that's going to happen? Well, you figure since it came into effect, there's uh, 1,556 organizations that have had breaches of uh, information. So, you know, honestly, you might not even realize you're breaking HIPAA rules, uh, even just like by posting, you know, a statement on social media about a patient that you saw, even though you didn't use a name, mm -hmm. even though you didn't say who it was, what it was, you know, you use very vague descriptions. If it was in the media, you might actually be breaking the HIPAA law by just saying, hey, I treated a patient with this and this and this, and if you can put the two together, you could be in violation of HIPAA. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of different things that are uh, coming down the pipe with this, and MACRA just being one of them. What, what, why would someone want to, I mean, what, can, what kind of information can people, in other words, your health, say your health history, why would someone want to break in and find your health history? What, well, could, what could they do with that information? It's worth about five five to ten times more than a credit card information, because your medical it, records, because you can blackmail people with it. Well, yeah, and that's Number what you're— Number one, that's well, like the nefarious side of it. But that's what you're seeing right now is the ransomware. You know, you're seeing, you know, and, and the, our good friend Thor Schrock has been talking about this on a lot of different things, you know, ransomware where— you know, somebody gets in and encrypts a bunch of different records and holds them hostage, uh, you know, until you pay, they give you the key to get that back. And so, and you've been seeing that a lot in hospitals. And here's why it's important, because that's static information. You know, name, date of birth, social security number, address, you know, credit card, so what? You know, credit card company can... Turn those off, mm. you know. Whereas in healthcare record, all of that information is static; it's never going to change. And so, you know, from a hacker's perspective, on the black market, if I can sell that information at fifteen dollars a name rather than two dollars a credit card, because I'm only going to be able to use that credit card once, right? 
So that's where I think it's important to protect your security. It's important to protect your information. And so, you, you know, you, you talk about it. Why? Well, because it's 15 times more valuable. I wonder just how responsible it is to make, first of all, to make doctors responsible for these types of records, number one. And number two, why do we need to have health information digital? Is it is it does it is it streamline our you know our wellness process or you know what's the what's the purpose of having it all digital? Well, I think from a you know from a transmission perspective, you know have you you've seen doctors' handwriting? It's not very crisp and clear, right? Well, in this instance, you know I can put down everything that I have and type it out, and it's readable, it's legible, right? Well, then I can electronically sign a pharmacy you know, a pharmaceutical request and it go right to the pharmacy, it, it streamlines a lot of the processes, in my opinion. But at what others sake? Others, dis, like some physicians that might have been practicing for an awful long time would disagree and believe that it's made it, them more inefficient. Well, to some degree, I believe that it has made them more inefficient because they spend more time in front of a computer than they actually do the patient. In some cases, I I have noticed that personally. So I've been very forthcoming on this show that I'm a cancer survivor and that sort of thing. Sean and I talked mm -hmm. about it just a couple right. weeks ago when we were doing the uh, radiothon. Mm -hmm. um, but I can tell you that I had when I was diagnosed, it was pre Obamacare to post Obamacare. He spends more time looking at the computer screen than he does me now. Oh, and the same. The yeah, same. Doc, the same. I've been yeah. seeing the same guy all the way through since before and now. And he does. That's true. He comes in. He gives him a little, you know, checkup. He does his normal thing. But then he spends the remainder of the time in the in the office just staring at the computer, typing stuff in. Mm. And it's very. It's gotten to be. At least it's gotten to be very impersonal. I would say mm. that much. Because they're all because because they've got to put document everything because it's all required by the quality measures so they can meet all of these different payment models, payment requirements from the federal government. Yet again, the federal government is responsible for. For all of this and you want to know why you go in at eight and you don't get out till 10 or noon or if you're in the va why you go in at eight and you don't see your doctor till three and then you don't get out till five is because the federal government is telling you is mandating all of this information be documented so the doctors can get paid they've made it very inefficient and ineffective in many ways which leads us to macra Right, which I wanted to just share with you guys what um, the America Hospital Association said. Um, it applauds macro's streamlining of the physician reporting burden, but still has concerns, especially for smaller practices, as it is disappointed with the federal government. As it is disappointed, the federal government is providing no financial incentives for upfront investments in technologies to meet the demands of implementation. So that's number one. So they're having to finance all of all of these things these hospitals do um, hospitals that employ physicians directly may bear the cost of implementation as they say and um, they may as well be at risk therefore if they don't get it done right for not getting reimbursed the right. full amount on the back end so right. it's kind of a lose lose you got to give us some incentive if we've got to put up this capital right, right. maybe you have to lay off people to put up this yeah this capital as i'm speaking as a hospital ceo right here right right where's the incentive especially if there's what if it doesn't work out and then we still lose like right that. well and i found it very interesting that tom nichols he's executive vice president for the american hospital association said we're disappointed by and, and this goes to the alternative payment model that you were talking about earlier he goes, we are disappointed by cms's narrow definition of alternative payment models which could have a chilling effect on providers' ability to experiment with new patient-centered, value-driven payment models. Today's rule on MACRA fails to recognize the significant resources, so money, and risk assumed by the highly motivated early adopters of alternative payment models. In addition, providers are overwhelmed by the conflicting, unfocused quality measure requirements that hinder hospitals and healthcare systems to be able to improve on patient care. That's pretty chilling in my opinion, from such a powerful organization saying, what are you guys doing? I mean, really, what are you doing making it even harder? We're not even sure what these requirements mean at this point mm -hmm. because they can change. And everything. every time I see a new rule proposed like this, 
to final implementation, it's just like meaningful use. It said one thing at the beginning and it completely changed 180 degrees at the end. Mm -hmm. Are we going to see that as well? Are we going to see this bill go from 972 pages or this rule from 972 to, say, 1944? I mean, this is crazy. I mean, we don't know what the final result is going to be. Mm -mm. So, yeah, enlighten us, please. <laughs> what are you asking me for? I don't know. what it, That's way above my pay grade, but uh, I We're could tell you. Right. We usually are right. I see. Uh, I see that they're probably going to go through an extensive comment period, and the problem is, if you ever go through the comment period, so how it works when a bill passes, it you, you, there's a federal rulemaking process, and they 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 create what's called a proposed federal rule, and that's what the interim rule, proposed interim rule, or whatever, and then it, then you they allow the public to comment for up to thirty days, I believe, and then. You can, uh, they will uh, respond to the comments, and if they think that those comments are right, they will make make those changes in the rule. The problem is, at least as far as this administration and can, like I, I guess I worked and uh, we we monitored the uh, George W. Bush administration a little bit when I worked for Congress, but um, I don't have as much exposure with their administration as I do this one because more of my career has been focused on this act. And what I have found is while there are very, very many good comments that come out there, uh, the, the, the traditional response that I find in, in, uh, in the Centers for Medicare Medicaid Services uh, response letters is always like, well, we respect what you're saying, but no type of deal. And, and it's just various ways of, uh, of saying that. Or, you know, they'll, they'll list the question and say, we think that that's going to happen, but no, we're not going to do that. Right. And so it's almost... I'm not going to say that it's um, a waste of time to comment on this stuff, but right. sometimes difficult uh, to to get it um, to get them to change these things. So what I'm trying to say is uh, this: there's going to be a, a very close version of of this, I would think, well, I, I, unless they really try and hammer hammer them. And uh, well, and when you go side. back to and when you go back to just even the IT piece of it, I'll give you an example. You know, laptops. So if you're a healthcare provider and you carry a laptop around and it gets stolen and there's medical record information on it, you know, you can be fined for that. Seriously? Yeah. There was there. I'll I'll put it to you like this. There was a organization in Nebraska. I'm not going to mention who, but they lost a laptop, and there were over thirty thousand records on it. You know, or at least traces of records on it. And so, you know, um, that's scary. Or how about one that had, you know, 1,500 records from a theft of a desktop device? You know, um, I, I could go on and on. As I said earlier, there's over 1,500 different organizations that have had thefts of more than 500 devices across the country. Nebraska tends to look like it's one of the lower end on how many attacks they've had or how many different types of intrusions they've had, but it happens not just here, but all across the country. And so, you know, protect your information. You know, one had 5,600 here in March and it was a hacking incident into an electronic medical record network server. So, I mean, you know, CMS is watching all of this. Health and Human Services is watching all of this. You know, this is all part of the rulemaking. So. They seem to have a pretty tough administrator. Their last one was a pushover, in my oh, opinion. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, this person was a high-level mm -hmm. executive at his insurance company. So, I think he knows, he kind of knows the game, but. You know, he really fights back in the press, too. So yep. uh, it should be interesting um, to see. Hey, when we come back, I guess you know, we, we're going to talk a little politics because I'm going to pose uh, the question uh, to you is um, what happens if Trump wins the White House and Democrats hold the Senate or take the Senate back? World because some War. people are arguing that he's pretty volatile at the top of the ticket. We'll see what we'll happens. We'll see what happens. We'll talk about that. Uh, also, actually, 10 exciting Medical technologies that will make you hopeful about our future. 
really interesting article on the medical futurists as well as well as 10 ways the future digital healthcare can run wild. So uh, we're going to spend some more time looking on the technology front here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Back right after this. Are you feeling overwhelmed, depressed, or angry? Is your child or teenager acting out? Healing Tree Counseling wants to help. Located at 10th and Dodge, Healing Tree offers individual, family, and couples therapy. Bill and Laura are exceptional at working with children and adolescents. Ask around. They have a great reputation. Healing Tree accepts most insurance companies. They offer flexible payment plans and are confidential. Their personalized service and unique office sets them apart from larger agencies. Visit HealingTreeOmaha.com for more information. They say every business should have an elevator pitch. Here's ours. We are E.D. Bellis, a consulting company specializing in healthcare reform, helping businesses navigate the new law. For more, go to healthreformexplained.com. America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Obamacare is gathering steam with nearly full implementation this year. Some like it, others are just like WTF. Tell us your experience on this week's show. America's Healthcare Challenge, Saturday at noon on News Talk 1290. Listening to America's Healthcare Challenge on News Talk 1290, News Talk 1290 KOIL.com, and the News Talk 1290 mobile app. Once again, here's Sean McGuire. Hey, welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Thought about uh, we'd uh, talk about something uh, exciting that uh, that I saw: the ten exciting medical technologies that will make you hopeful about our future. I've talked about all of the uh, changes coming with artificial intelligence in healthcare. We've got IBM and Watson uh, running wild. We've talked about them. Uh, all kinds of organizations getting in on this healthcare disruption uh, bus. All probably as a result of all these massive changes we've been we've been talking about, Alan. But one of the uh, why don't we just go through this list and we can kind of just talk about them a little bit later. Uh, for example, one of them is. Uh, the thing this person uh, writes, uh, he's a he's a physician, but he's a very a futuristic thinking, kind of into sci-fi and and all of those things. And uh, so he's a, he's a great writer and identified uh, one of them organs in labs. There are new technologies that might be able to restore function of human organs or replace them entirely. Nanofilters that can act as an artificial kill- kidney may soon replace dialysis, for example. Right. Um, Makes me want to just uh, go to the bar because I'll just get my uh, 3D li- uh, printer to print me a new liver. You know <laughs> what I mean? No, but I'm done. You know, um, arsenal of diagnostics at home. Hundreds of years, certain technologies have only been accessible at the doctor's office, uh, like EKG des- devices. I was talking to somebody like, yeah, I got an EKG next month. Well, potentially in the future, portable ultrasounds, other of these things will be able to be able to brought home. You well, can bring those home. Well, and not only could you bring them home, but I think, you know, a lot of the different healthcare technologies we're starting to see are on smart, uh, you know, being delivered through smartphone te- technology. Right. Through uh, computer technology of some type that you can purchase or you can even have in your house. It's small enough to be transportable now. Right, right, right. So uh, that's coming down the pipe. People with a medical condition can now start to. To see normal life, this person writes, uh, when I saw a paralyzed patient stand up from a wheelchair using an exoskeleton, uh, I got emotional and excited at the same time. That's right. pretty neat. What is an exoskeleton? Well, it's you know a shell made out of different types of materials that allow somebody to be able to be utilized. I mean, it looks like an Iron Man suit, yeah. but it goes around you like it's like I don't know. It's almost it's it's almost got, it's got like a spinal cord system on the back right and then it and then it has these like arms and legs that come off of it and you basically strap someone into yeah. it yeah is basically how it works and then they can walk and it's do- wild yeah, yeah. they can walk well yeah, yeah they can i mean they can do any of the motor functions that they lost they'll be able to be should be able to yeah. have functionality to do in an exoskeleton it's a trip <laughs> it's a total trip star wars style man uh sensors that can teach us about our own health and body uh, today, sensors can measure my our health parameters, uh, giving us insight into exercise habits, sweet quality, stress levels, and brain activity during meditation. Wow. Uh, the size of health sensors also sh- was, is shrinking. Um, well, that's where nanotechnologies come into play. 
Yes, he said nanorobots in the bloodstream. That's right. Isn't there a movie from the 80s where, like, they send a guy into the body? What was that movie called? What, Inner Space? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you mind, bro. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, just gonna get, knock this out here real fast. This is some crazy stuff you're talking about here. Bro. Yes, robots will have dialogues with us. That's the next one. So there you go. Narrow artificial intelligence already powers chatbot or algorithms. Uh, so they can already shop or run errands. Wow. Well, yeah. I want one of those. Yeah, me too. Uh, but. Uh, what, what he says, what truly is sex, this is about a body robot at home that has a body can help you with physical tasks and also has a, it can abstract concepts of meaningful life. So that's literally, what was that show on AMC? It was a BBC show, uh, but it was on last season. I can't even remember. Doubt the Abbey? No. No. It was, um, are you being, not are, it's not, are you being served? No. <laughs> that's, I, <laughs> Hold on, I'll find it. AMC show on robots. Only on this show would you hear the reference to humans. It's called served? humans. Oh, okay. Yeah, humans. And so basically, they created these robots slash that artificial intelligence, and uh, they're mm. living within society. This takes place in London, probably like twenty years from now. It's it's and um, right. But the guy who created these robots gave consciousness to about maybe ten of them, and then doesn't really tell them about it and right. so like it's kind right. of following so they're literally humans that are robots it's crazy that's awesome yeah so robots are going to be having dialogues with us according to this article risky medical procedures made simple uh, i think that's true uh for example um see uh, the vein viewer makes it possible uh, to see veins um Stuff like that's kind of interesting. Well, and my brother-in-law, Whoa, who's a vascular surgeon, uses stuff like that at Cedar Sinai. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this thing. They're pu- it looks like a band-aid, Whoa. but it's a green type of band-aid. That's cool. But they're they put it over your hand, and they can see exactly where your veins are. Wow. So if you have problems getting an IV hooked up, that that could be be a be be thing uh, something that could do it. Virtual reality lets our astronauts stay on Earth. I don't know what. He's talking about editing the genome. Hmm. <laughs> That's getting into some crazy stuff. Isn't That's it? getting deep into uh, 1984 type science. Yeah. This new <laughs> gene editing now seems to. Wow. Well, if you if you edit the genome, you change a lot of different things. You could eliminate a lot of viruses. Isn't that 1984 type technology? Isn't everything always clothed and we can make it better for you? Isn't yeah. It? It's crazy. So, I don't know. I thought uh, I thought folks would like to listen to uh, hear that uh, that story. I would ch- encourage you to check out the medical futurists. Uh, other stories on there. Ten ways the future of healthcare can digital healthcare can run wild. They mentioned they mentioned uh, technology, uh, security, and um, and making sure that that the loss of privacy is in there. But they also says uh, people diagnosing themselves at home is probably going to be even more of a I don't know if that's a wise thing to do. I, you know, I'm I, 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 I'm one of those who, if I if my doctor says, well, you might have this, I start researching and I start trying to do my own uh, self symptomizing and trying to figure out what it is that I actually have. And you know what? It creates additional stress. It creates additional fears. It creates additional nuttiness. Well, if you if you go on like WebMD, crazy. but if you go on WebMD, you look up like your symptoms. It's like it's it always ends up like you have AIDS or you have you know you have something. To, it's yeah. always something well, horrible. Yeah, it's, you might have Sjogren's <laughs> syndrome. You know, I mean, you go, and, and you hear all of this. You know, and, and why put yourself through that? Listen, you know, listen to your doctor. You know, you can research to some degree, but. You know, you don't know, you know, you, oh, uh, that's where professionals get paid the big bucks for. One of my favorite shows is um, Royal Pains, Hank Med. You remember that show on USA? Oh, yeah. One of the very first episodes, he, he goes and diagnoses somebody. And I can't remember the exact uh, name of the diagnosis, but it was basically that they were just, they had a phobia. And, like, they would just research uh, on WebMD, and then they'd, like, think that they had, like, you know, oh, I have a fever because it says I have a fever type of deal. Well, that's I'll actually give you an example. I had, I had a scare last year. I had a scare last year that I might have some type of uh, cancer. I haven't talked about this on the show. 
But I had a fear, and I ended up having to go to a urologist. I went to my primary care. I went to a urologist. I went to a couple other doctors. And I'm going to tell you, they, uh, I, I was fearful because I didn't know what it was. And I went to one doctor, and he said, well, it could be this, but your blood test came back fine. You know, so I, I'm not in the business of trying to self-diagnose. That's idiotic because you're going to kill yourself by doing that. Yeah. That's why I would recommend that you see a, a, a profession that's been trained in, in how to, how to right. do all, all of these these things. So hope you enjoyed 10 exciting uh, medical trends of the future and other futuristic things going on. It certainly excites me. It'll be interesting to see where we are in the next 10 years. Hey, if you want to come in and uh, give us a call with your thoughts here this week, that is, uh, this segment is uh, your opportunity to do that. We have a line open at 402-342-1290, here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Check out Facebook.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge uh, for all of our uh, commentary and segments during the week. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner seeing your bottom line squeezed by rising healthcare costs? I'm Sean McGuire, and I founded E.D. Bellis Healthcare Consulting to provide health reform consulting so that your business does not get caught off with all the uncertainty in Washington. I was there on Capitol Hill when the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, was created, and I have read the entire bill. Let me guide you through the maze of the American bureaucracy as you adapt to changing government rules and regulations that will impact your organization regardless of size. I offer custom services, including cost reduction strategies, training seminars for you and your employees, and strategic planning to help you prepare for the future. Regardless of what the Supreme Court decides, this issue is here to stay. Contact me today for a free consultation at www.healthreformexplained.com. That's www.healthreformexplained.com. At E.D. Ballas, we know healthcare. Research shows moving is one of the most stressful events in a person's life. But thanks to two men in a truck, it doesn't have to be. They have everything you need to move. A courteous professional staff who will customize your move, which includes a no-obligation estimate, a schedule to fit your convenience, and all the necessary packing supplies. And two men in a truck will help you watch your budget, too. Don't stress. Let two men in a truck handle your home or business move. Go to twomenandatruck.com. Two men in a truck selected Best of Omaha for nine years straight with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. E.D. Bellis is a healthcare reform consulting company with valuable information that is up-to-date and easy to understand. We have solutions to manage compliance, minimize penalties and taxes, and all other options. Check out healthreformexplained.com. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. With all of this, our country has tremendous potential. Let's make America great again. Nice. Yes, we should. We're here to make America great again by keeping you informed. (laughs) Thanks for that clip there. There, uh, Matt with uh, Matt Barrows. Alan Hayer, Sean McGuire here on America's Healthcare Challenge. We're going to talk a little politics this way, and we'll uh, we'll tie it into healthcare because nobody ever really talks about healthcare and these presidential candidates. But we've got, uh, I guess, there's essentially three people still standing yes. in, in the race. Yes, in the race. So we've got. Um, we're still, we're still the, counting Bernie. Yeah, I think we're going to still count him. Okay. I mean, he just sold out California. Like, do you see how many people he added <laughs> that crowd? Huge. Yeah. yeah, huge. Yeah, they probably should have had a bigger venue for it. Yeah, I mean, they could probably fill the new L.A. or the L.A. Coliseum with California is definitely ready for socialism. They're definitely ready. They've been ready for the last 30 years. Exactly. <laughs> they fully embrace it. They're ready for it. 
<laughs> so who, 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 which one you you've got? Uh, well, Trump released his health care plan this week, which yep. was some news. Hillary Clinton uh, in the New York Times uh, with the Medicare for More argument shifting to the left on health care, and then we have Senator Sanders with his plan. Uh, what? Who wants to go first? Uh, I've got Hillary's plan. You've got. Do you have Trump's? Plan? I've got Trump's plan. All right, Matt's got Bernie's plan. Yes. Yeah, and so. Uh, Trump released a seven-point health care plan uh, this week uh, in great detail, mind you. And so, real quick, the seven points are to completely repeal and replace Obamacare, modify existing law that inhibits the sale of health insurance across state lines, allow individuals to fully deduct health insurance premium payments from their tax returns under the current tax system, which is not available to in- individuals like it is to businesses. Allow individuals to use HSA, so health savings accounts. Require price transparency from all health care providers, especially doctors and health care organizations like clinics and hospitals. Individuals should be able to shop to find the best prices for whatever they need. This is something that we've talked about on many times on this show. Number Point number six, blockade Medicaid to the states. Do not tie mandates to the Medicaid dollars, but instead allow states to come up with plans that actually fit what it is they need for to uh, offer Medicaid services to dollar uh, to people. This would also give states the incentives to seek out and eliminate fraud, waste, and abuse, and preserve those resources that they receive. And number seven, which for Sean and Matt, I think is a great thing: remove barriers to entry into free markets for drug providers that offer safe, reliable, and cheaper pharmaceutical drugs. Congress needs the courage to step away from the special interests and do what's right for America. So this is going right in line with making America great again through the pharmaceutical industry is in the private sector. Drug companies provide a public service, allowing consumer access to imported safe and dependable drugs from overseas can bring more options to consumers. And I like what he talks about here because this is what we've talked about in free market economics. It's not bad. It's got some good things in it's there. It's got like, some really good things in there. I like the uh, deductible, deduct your deductibles as a and uh, healthcare costs because I mean it's becoming such a it's becoming a new tax, so to speak, on so many Americans. I think that would be something that would be beneficial. Block grants make a lot of sense. Uh, you want an example of a, a program that that's worked well? That's a block grant. Uh, I'll give you the Children's Health Insurance Program, which was a a block grant assigned to the states. And um, that has probably done a lot better than Medicaid, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Chip. The problem with Medicaid is we have to send tax dollars out to Washington. We have no idea where we go. And then they send tax dollars back to Nebraska to match uh, certain funds for Medicaid. So that just doesn't make sense to me. I'd rather have a certain amount of money just coming to Nebraska and we could figure out what to do with it. Exactly. And that's what we've talked about time and time and time again on this show is giving you opportunities to block grant to give us opportunities not to have to deal with federal mandates, but design programs that work for Nebraskans and uh, Americans all across the board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, I'll go next. I've got this, um, Secretary Clinton. Uh, the main headline was May 11th this week. This in Kaiser Family News uh, with Medicare for More argument, Clinton shifting to the left on health care. On the record, being in support of the Affordable Care Act, uh, but now uh, kind of open more to the idea of a, a single-payer system probably getting pulled that way from uh, Senator Sanders, something that he has uh, taken credit for. So I'm on her website, uh, her, her main principles on health care. Number one, defend the Affordable Care Act and build on it to slow the growth of out-of-pocket costs. Uh, def- crack down on rising prescription drug prices and hold drug companies accountable so they get ahead and by investing in research, not jacking up costs. Um Protect women's access to reproductive health care, including contraception, safe and legal abortion. Uh, those are her top three principles on health care. And then you go down a little further. Hillary has never given up on the, the war for universal coverage and won't stop now. Um, more on premiums, incentives to encourage states to expand Medicaid, invest in navigators and advertising and other outreach to make enrollment easier. Uh, on that point, I'll, I'll get back to it. Expand access to affordable health care to families regardless of immigration status um uh, wait she wants to give health care to illegals mm-hmm. come on I- again another incentive for a payout you know 
Not a Continue to support a public option to work on the Affordable Care Act to make it possible. Uh, so really going to defend the Affordable Care Act uh, if if she wins. So I would argue that if Secretary Clinton is president, it's probably going to be the most status quo of any of the other candidates because it looks like the other ones really want to to change some things up. Uh, Matt, what do you have for uh, for the burn? Yeah, especially the especially the burnmeister. He, uh, as we all know, he wants to go universal. He's promising. Wait, hold on, I got, I was switched to my political website here, which is I want to get to that here in just a second. But under under Bernie's website, he is showing obviously the universal health care. He's promising um, long term uh, vision, hearing, oral, mental health, substance abuse services, prescription medications, medical equipment, supplies, diagnostics, treatments. Um, he's promising all these things for everyone in the country. So every single person, and I think the title is No One Left Behind is what he's saying here. Um, What's the cost of that? Well, that's funny you should ask that, Alan, because he <laughs> says that you that it's only going to increase, let me see here, at the at the bottom here, it's only going to increase um, the, the payments. Let's just get to the payments instead of the money-wise. A 6.2% income-based health care premium paid by employers and a 2.2% income based premium paid by households that's what he's promising it's going to cost however politico and i definitely recommend people check out this article that was written about five six days ago um, saying that it's going to cost the nation about 33 trillion dollars and this person cites in over the next and that's over the next 10 years 33 trillion over the next 10 years and this person cites hillary clinton as being absolutely correct when she attacks bernie for saying your numbers are not adding up you're promising all this stuff to everybody but and you're only saying it's going to cost this much in taxes or whatever and in this article in politico kind of kind of uh, draws that out so just off the top of my head at what his taxes that's what like 14 15 trillion dollars and so this is twice that yeah he's uh, and what and it's probably going to go up another what 25 30 percent after that because yeah. you know these numbers are never static they're always moving and they're always and they always move up they never move down I would have to say a, a proposal like that would probably be dead on arrival at Congress. It's just too too much. Uh, we just can't afford that. I mean, that's three times as expensive as the Affordable Care Act when it first came out, um, which was supposed to be about a, a you know one point two trillion dollars. Um, well, and let's put this into perspective too. This is more generous not only than Medicare, but the European health systems that he so often praises. <laughs> I mean, this is way more generous than that and this also removes even the cursory cost sharing requirements this is crazy so nothing costs anything yeah it's all well it, it costs somebody's got to pay for it but it's not going to be you if you <laughs> want to get it under the burns plan so that's why we call the show america's Healthcare challenge just trying to keep up with all of these things for you thanks so much for your time here on the program uh, make sure to check out facebook.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge where we've got all of our segments. We're going to post some of those this week as I think we had some great discussions in particular on that. I, I like that future segment, Alan. Oh, yeah, I did too. I yeah. really like that. Yeah, looking forward to monitoring the future here on the program. That's right. Yeah, yeah, all right. Because we're always right. Yeah. Uh, you know, man, I'm tired of being right like Ace Ventura said. <laughs> I'm tired of winning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never tired of winning. Hey, we will see you next week. Have a great one.